One of the favorite movies in the Shepherd household is Aladdin. It can be the animated classic one, or even the 2019 live action. It doesn't matter. We love it. I mean, what's not to love? It's a rags-to-riches story with an adorable monkey, a flying carpet, and of course, everyone's favorite, the genie. It can be Robin Williams or Will Smith. doesn't matter. They're both fantastic. I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but if you had the genie that was able to grant you three wishes, what would you wish for? And of course, you're not allowed to ask for more wishes. That's cheating. But there's the classic answers of more wealth and power, a new car, a new house, or an endless supply of M&Ms. Oh, that was mine. Sorry. Um, But maybe this week, the threat of or the spread of this coronavirus would change how you would answer that question. might change what you would wish for. Maybe with your kids at home, you just wish that they would get along. You just wish that things would go back to normal. You wish that people would stop buying all the toilet paper and the bread the moment it's put out on the shelf. Or maybe it's a little more serious, and you're praying and you're wishing that those around you and you yourself would not become sick with this virus, or that the virus would just go away altogether. We all have wishes, we all have these requests, we all have these things that we want. And even though we know that the story of Aladdin is made up, and that we shouldn't spend our time searching for uh, the cave of wonders to find this golden lamp, very subtly, this idea of an all-powerful genie who's sole purpose in existence is to grant my wishes, actually seeps into and influences the way that we see and understand and experience God. It changes our expectations that we put on God. There's a sociologist and author named Christian Smith who did spend a lot of time studying the American uh, spiritual and religious attitude. And what he found is that the most common way that we think about and interact with God can be summed up in three words, moralistic, therapeutic, deism. Now, if you want to, you can have some fun researching that at home. Uh, It's fascinating and really important for us. But my point in saying that is actually to use one of the illustrations and metaphors that, that Christian Smith uses in his book. He says that the most common way that as Americans we think about God is that he is a cosmic genie or a divine vending machine or butler whose primary job is to take care of me the way that I think is best. He's always on call, ready to make me feel better and grant every wish and take care of any problem that arises. This is an incredibly common way of viewing God in our culture. And as the church, we need to watch for this in our own lives. And with that being the lens that many people see God, we need to just hold that in the back of our minds as we come to this morning's passage. This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 7 to 12. If you've been with us for the past several months, you know that we've been walking slowly through the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is unpacking what it means for us as the followers of Christ, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to live as new creations in Christ, to live as the new humanity. And we come to this morning's passage in Matthew chapter 7. So hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. May God bless the reading of his word. So in this passage, Jesus begins by saying the same thing in three different ways. He says to ask, to seek, and to knock. And all three of these are ways that we are invited into prayer. We are invited to come before the throne of God with our requests. And these are not just a one-time invitation. These are not one-time things. But what he's saying is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, be persistent in prayer, and I will give it to you. And his reason, his rationale says, look at the way that you are as human fathers. You love to give good gifts to your children. And if your kid asks for a piece of bread because he's hungry, you're not going to turn and give him a rock so he can break his teeth on it. And if your kid wants a fish, you're not going to give him a snake which could turn and bite him and injure him. Of course not. And he says, if you then, though you are evil... Though you are sinful humans, sinful parents, if you know how and delight in giving good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven, who is not evil, who is the definition of good, who is love himself, how much more will he give good gifts to those who ask of him? You see, God's posture towards you as his child in Christ is that you are no longer enemies, but you have been adopted as the son and daughter of God. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And because of Christ, he is pleased with you. He is not angry. He is not disappointed in you. And he longs to give you good gifts, which brings us to a really important question that we haven't answered yet in this text. What exactly is Jesus promising to give us? In verse 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. What is it? What is Jesus promising here? And this is a hugely important question. Because for many of us, we have prayed for various things for years. We have persisted in prayer. We've persisted in asking. We've desperately poured out our heart to God. Maybe it has something to do with your career and you feel like you just can't get going in. You don't have the respect at work that you feel like you deserve and you've been trying and, and pleading with the Lord and you're wanting that so bad. For others, it's some sort of relational breakdown. Maybe you're tired of being alone and you've been longing for a spouse or you've longed to have children and it just hasn't happened. Maybe it's something related to your health. Maybe you have a diagnosis or a loved one is battling cancer or some other illness that doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon and it's weighing on you. And so we ask for those things. We ask for these desires. And it seems the answer is no. We keep on asking, but we're not receiving. We're asking for what we think are good gifts, but instead of receiving bread, it feels like we're receiving a stone. So then what we do is we make this connection. We say that if God says he will give good gifts because he is a good father, but I'm asking for these gifts and I'm not receiving, that must mean that God is not good. He doesn't love me. He must be a liar. And there's this predicament. So this question is really important. What is it that Jesus is actually promising to give us? Is this a blank check from God saying, whatever you want, I'll give it to you? This 
is where it's important that the context of this passage helps us understand what the meaning is. And this is true for entire, all of Scripture. Because this passage doesn't stand alone. This isn't just Jesus saying this random statement out of context, but in fact, he's saying it as part of this larger Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying. In a commentary on this passage, Don Carson says that this is not about the random desires that we have in our hearts. It's not what Jesus is talking about. But he says that he's addressing prayer that is a burning pursuit of God himself. Prayer that is towards the goal of being like Christ. This is asking for the virtues that Jesus has just been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Which means that if you find yourself this morning with a desire to be holy, a desire to be like Christ, to live into what, has got, what God has called you to be, to live 100% of the time as a new creation in Christ, being the kind of person who is merciful towards others instead of judgmental. If you long to be salt and light in this world, to make a difference for the kingdom of God, if you long to be one who loves your neighbors and even your enemies, if you long to be someone who mourns for our own sin instead of embracing it or ignoring it, and hungers and thirsts for righteousness, if you long to, be to not be anxious, but grow in confidence in God, if that is what you're asking for, then the good news is Jesus has already said yes to that. This is what he's promising. And he says, keep asking for that. Keep seeking that. Keep knocking because God has committed himself by the power of his spirit to, to make that true of you, to make you like Christ. No matter how slow that transformation seems to be, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking because God has committed himself to making it true. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Christ has demonstrated his commitment to you very clearly. He became like one of us, taking on human form. God in flesh, taking our sin upon himself. And he went to the cross rising from the dead in order to defeat sin and death, removing any barrier that might prevent us from being with him. And then he gives you his spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And day by day, by the power of God's spirit, he is transforming us to make us the kind of person that he's called us to be. And one day, Right? The passage says he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus because on that day Christ will return and all will be made right. Relationships will be restored. Death and sickness are destroyed and I can't wait for that day. But in the meanwhile, we have the beauty of being God's children which means that we are invited to, as Philippians 4, 6 says, to present our requests to God whatever they might be. And yet sometimes in his wisdom and in his love, God says yes. And he gives us those things we ask for. And sometimes in his wisdom and in his love, he says no to those things. I want you to think for a moment about children. Kids ask for a lot of different things. But as parents, you don't say yes to everything, do you? Why? Because they're kids. 
because they don't have the perspective that we have. They haven't seen all that we've seen. They don't have the experience that we have. They're young, unwise, and when they get older, they will see, see things differently and make different decisions. If our kids were, involved, were overseeing our family finances, we would have every Lego set ever invented, and our house would be filled with unicorn stuffed animals. We probably wouldn't have anything healthy to eat, and we wouldn't pay the electric bill, right? This is why we don't give kids everything that they ask for. But it's hard for them to hear no, isn't it? Why can't I do that? Why can't we run in the parking lot? Why can't we buy everything in the store that we want? Hard for them because their world is very small. They don't have the bigger picture in view. And this is exactly the same between us and God. Tim Keller put it this way. He says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. I want to read that again. He says, in speaking about prayer, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? It's like a shot to our pride because as adults, we feel like we know everything. I know what's best for me. I'll decide what's best. Essentially, I want to be God. When we start believing that as children, it's amplified in the teenage years, and it doesn't go away as adults. I mean, how many of us this past week have tried to talk about this coronavirus as if we were an infectious disease expert? How many of us think that we know better than every other government official making decisions right now? One of the problems with the internet is that since we have access to so much information, it makes us feel as though we know everything. I'm guilty of this. My wife often calls me out for talking about things like I know what I'm talking about when I really don't know much and I'm making things up. Which is why it's really important that in this passage we are called and spoken about as the children of our Father. The problem is we don't see ourselves as little kids. We actually think of ourselves as adult children who think that we know a lot and we're on the same level or at least really close to God. We think our perspective should be what happens. But the reality is we are children. We are little ones who are bound by time and space. And when we compare ourselves to the all-knowing, infinite God of the universe, whose creativity and power breathed out the brains which, with, with which you think, we know absolutely nothing. There is no comparing ourselves to the one who holds the future, who is the source of all wisdom and knowledge, the one from whom all things were created. Compared to him, you and I are newborns trying to decide what is best for us. We see only a tiny speck. We only live in the present. We're too weak to control or change the future. And we're too stupid and forgetful to even remember the past. We all have wishes, we all have desires, we all have prayers which we are invited to bring before God. And yet he is not promising in this passage to say yes to whatever you ask. Sometimes he says no to these desires. And as a parent, I've had to do that with my own children, and they've not liked my answer sometimes. They've not liked my wife's answer. But it's in those moments that we look at our kids and we ask them to do what? We say, trust me. Trust me. It's when you look your kids in the eyes and say, do you know that I love you? Look at how we interact. Look how I treat you. Look at the ways I provide for you. Do you know that I'm trying to make a decision that is best for you? Please trust me. 
And you appeal to character. You appeal to relationship. And it's exactly what God is doing as well. He says, know that I want to give you good gifts, but when I say no, please trust me because I love you. You see, sometimes what we're asking for, we think from our perspective, it is a good thing. From our limited, small perspective. Yet, like a good father, God may say no because he knows better than we do. He knows ourselves better than we know ourselves. He knows all things, and he may, for that reason, or reasons that are beyond our understanding, say no. Because we're asking for something that is not ultimately the best thing for us. It's like we're unintentionally and unknowingly asking for a stone, but he loves us too much to give us a stone. He longs to give us bread. And like little kids, it's really hard for us to understand that because it forces us to trust in the goodness of God, and that's difficult. We have to trust that he really is for us and that he wants to give us the best gifts, that he's unwilling to give us anything less than that. Because you see, the greatest good in life is not that you would be happy and have all of your wishes come true. The greatest goal, the most important thing in life, is that we would come to know, love, and rely in full dependence on Christ more and more day by day. That's the goal that God has in mind. And he uses all things towards that end to make us like him, to bring us close to himself, which means this is a matter of trust. So the most important question in this is then how do we know that we can trust God? Well, look no further than the one who is speaking these words in Matthew 7. Look to the person of Jesus, God in flesh. You want to know the Father? Look at Jesus. So look at what Jesus says in verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. How do we know that we can trust God? Because he himself lives by this. Because he lives by the golden rule. Because before he tells you to give yourself to him in trust, he gave himself for you. Because the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe used his power and authority to care for you. He sees you in your sin, lost and confused in need of help. And what did he do? He moved towards us, not to judge but to save and to rescue. God himself came to earth and took on himself the judgment that was due us for our sin. And while you and I were still enemies of Christ, died for, Christ died for us. Jesus took the stone so that you could have the bread. He made his life harder in order to serve you and make your life better, to give you good gifts, and that's why you can trust him. Before you and I had any desire to be with him, he moved us towards us and invites us to trust him too. Many times we will not understand why God says no to the things we ask for. But it's in those moments where we look to the cross, where God most clearly demonstrates his love, his grace, his character, where we learn to trust him and we cry out, Lord, I believe you, help my unbelief. And so you're reminded in that moment when you turn to Christ and look to him at the cross, you're reminded that he is so good to us, that he is gracious and slow to anger, rich in love, and his love towards you awakens love for him in response. 
which means that our prayer changes. And the most desperate prayer of our heart becomes, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to know you. I want to love you more. I want to be like you. And friends, this is the prayer that Jesus says. I will answer yes to that every single time. And so ask for him, and and he will be given to you. Seek him. You will find him. And as you knock, he will open the door to you and give you the greatest gift imaginable, the gift of himself. You grow in intimacy with him. Close this morning with Psalm 37, 4, which says, take delight in the Lord. As you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Father, we long to know you and to be with you. Lord, make us into the type of people that reflect most accurately your character, your heart. Thank you for promising to draw and to stay near with us, to never leave us, and to make us look like Jesus. Thank you for the prayer, that it, the promise that if we seek you, we will find you. Because you move first, you came to seek us while we were lost. You are a good father and you love us more than we could ever imagine. Help us to trust you when you say yes to things and help us to trust you when you say no to the things that we ask for. Remind us that you are good and that you are for us and that you long to give the best gifts to us. Thank you for your death, for your resurrection. Thank you for loving us, for giving us your spirit. Help us today to be the type of person who fulfills the law of love that we would do to others as they would have, we would have them do to us. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we pray that for your glory and for our good and for the hope of the world. In Jesus' name.